0: it's a pleasure and a joy uh, to me uh, to come and share God's word with you uh, this morning as well as uh, in the Antioch conference that begins uh, this evening and runs through to Monday. Uh, I'm here with uh, my wife and uh, my sister-in-law Uh, three nephews, and a niece. So that's uh, a large contingent uh, that has come to worship with you uh, this morning. As I bring God's word to us, uh, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth in chapter 1. And we are going to be reading together the first 14 verses. Luke, I mean Ruth chapter 1 and reading from verse 1 to 14. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Nahomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Opa and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, retain each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Nahomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way. I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Opa kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Let us pray. Our blessed God and our Father in heaven, we are thankful to you that you have given us this opportunity. You have given to us this privilege to be found in your house, in this place of worship. We thank you that you have provided for us everything that we need for life and godliness that we live and are sustained by your word. And it is out of your word that we have read these words. We pray, therefore, that as we sit still before you, that you will be pleased, O God, to speak to us individually, that you'll be pleased to speak to us personally, and that these words that we are about to hear will lodge in our hearts and that they might bear the fruit and fruit that will last unto eternity. We pray that you might grant to your servant enabling grace and power through the workings of your spirit to bring forth your word with much clarity, with much power, and with much conviction may you draw to yourself those that are outside the scope of your grace, those that are outside the shipfort, that they may be drawn in and that they would look back to this day and testify of the goodness and the grace of God that drew them to yourself. We pray and commit these moments into your hands. In the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the beautiful and noble things about our humanity, about who we are, even in our fallen and sinful condition, is that God has created us, In his own image. And even after our first parents fell into sin. That image of God distorted and disfigured was not entirely withdrawn. It still remains with us. It still remains in us. Our God has given to us the moral capacity to make choices in life. Choices about the rightness and the wrongness of our actions. Choices about what we must do and not do. Choices about what we must say and not say. Where we must go And where we must not go What we must embrace And what we must reject We have the capacity to think We have the capacity to feel We have the capacity to desire Many of the choices that we make are of little consequence This morning when you woke up You took a bath, you had breakfast. And if you had not settled in your minds the previous night what you were going to wear, you were deciding this morning. And you looked at a number of options and you settled for a particular option and here you are dressed in the kind of clothes that you are dressed in because you decided freely. You decided and you chose This is the shirt that I will wear. This is the tie that will match the shirt. This is the dress that will match my shoes. Those are choices that have little consequence as far as eternity is concerned. There are also choices that we make. Choices, if they were to be delayed, they will have no serious consequences at all. But then there are other serious choices that we make. Choices of a spiritual nature. Choices that will carry eternal consequences if we do not make them and if we delayed in making them. And these are the choices that are constantly before us. And these are choices that are inescapable. We cannot run away from that responsibility of making those choices. Because each step that we take spiritually is either toward God or away from God. And God is going to hold us accountable one day for those choices that we have to make each one. And it is by our choices that we are known for who we are. It is by our choices that we are identified as to what is most important to us in life. Those who are earthly-minded, those who live by sight, make choices based on earthly advantages and immediate benefits and immediate gratification. Those who are heavenly minded and live by faith make choices based on spiritual realities which though invisible to them now are by faith grasped and they become their present possession. And God's providence notwithstanding, we see ordinary individuals in the book of Ruth. Individuals that make choices. And choices that shape the rest of their lives. Choices that make a difference in their lives, make a difference to their future. Choices that reveal at a fundamental level who they are spiritually. The book of Ruth is set in the stormy period of the judges. The events of the book occur in the context of spiritual darkness, spiritual unfaithfulness, in the nation of Israel. At this point, as a nation, Israel had sunk deeply into the lowest and darkest state spiritually. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. There was anarchy. There was apostasy. There was unbelief. There was faithlessness. There was violence. Everything simply crumbled in Israel. And apparently God visits his faithless nation with a famine, we are told, in verse 1. And it must have been a nationwide famine... Reducing people to dire straits as far as food security was concerned. And one family that was affected by this famine made a choice. Made a decision that they were not going to uh, subject themselves and open themselves to the possibility of starvation. No, they would leave Israel, they would leave Bethlehem and go and look for greener pastures in a foreign land. And the land that they chose to go to was the land of Moab. And to the Jew, there was no land so distant, no land so detestable than that which had given itself and sold its soul to paganism and to idolatry and Moab was such a land. In Numbers chapter 22, we are told uh, that King, the king of Moab, hired a prophet by the name of Balaam to curse the tribes of Israel as they were making their way from Egypt to Canaan. So Moab was not a place That was in good terms with Israel. It was therefore a sad choice. It was a tragic choice that Elimelech and his family had made. Although the people of Moab were nearly related to the people of Israel, they had a very different history. They had a different God. They were a different people. They were the descendants of Lot. We know about Lot, the nephew of Abraham, through his incestuous relationship with his daughter. And so they had grown up, the descendants of of Moab, so to say, had grown up in the tents of Abraham, Lot himself had known the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That faith of Abraham had blossomed into splendor in the days of Moses, but now it had dwindled, it had died among the Moabites, and the Moabites had been a thorn in the flesh of the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt, and that faith had died. Died, and now they had been led away into the practice of wickedness and idolatry. And in this new and heathen land to which they had migrated, this family did not prosper hard, uh, as they had hoped. What they were looking for, what they wanted, was to prosper and somehow to run away from the famine that had visited uh, Israel. But what they experienced was something far worse than the famine that they were running away from. In a few years of living in Moab, Naomi became a widow because her husband Elimelech died. Her two sons, Malon and Killian, married Moabite women, Ruth and Opa. And after they had been married for ten years, these two sons also die. And here is Naomi left as a widow, bereft of her two sons, and now in circumstances that can at best be described as destitute. To all appearances, Naomi was desolate. Her husband was no more. Her two sons were gone. Poverty was now extreme. The place of Sir John, the place of Moab, became a land of strangers, a land of destitution, and her heart and spirit are now broken. And she herself confesses that the God of her fathers, as she deeply felt, had deserted her. Because she had apparently, together with her family, deserted this God. And so she, she must retrieve her past. So she, she must retrace her steps and, and go back. Go back to the favor of God. Go back to her people. Go back to Bethlehem. Go back to the land of Judah. And what prompted... That decision and brought her to this turning point is what we are told in verse 6. Then she arose with her her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. She heard while she was in Moab that the land that she had left behind, the land that she had abandoned, the land that she had run away from together with her family, God has been gracious and God now had visited His people. That famine that had come to rest over them probably as a judgment from the living God, that that famine was no more. There was now food. In Bethlehem. And so she decided she will have to go back to her people. It's not the choice of Naomi that we are going to be concerned with this morning. It's not the choice of Ruth. But it's the choice of Opa that I would like us to consider. And here is a young woman who had the opportunity to come into the rich blessings of God's grace. Here is a young woman who has the privilege and the opportunity presented to her to accompany a mother-in-law and go back to the place where God is worshipped, where God is known. The riches of His blessings and of His grace are immensely there. But this woman chose otherwise. Just as many of us do today. And if we were to think of Naomi as an evangelist, then she was not a very good one. Because she tries her best to persuade these two young widowed women to remain in Moab. She she must have known herself, she must have seen by her own experience that this was a land steeped in idolatry. She doesn't make much effort to go with these two young widowed women with her back to Judah. But it does appear that she does not dissuade them as the journey begins. Because she arose with them to return from the country of Moab. And as they set out from that place, and they are now returning to the land of Judah, she realizes that these two women are determined to go with her. And that's when she begins now to persuade them. That's when she begins to appeal to them and with them to retain. And, and now she persuades her daughters-in-law to return to their families. And initially, her attempt to persuade them is unsuccessful. Because these two women demonstrate their love for her, their devotion to her, their loyalty to their mother-in-law, and they refuse to part with her. Look at verse 10. And they say to her, No, we will return with you to your people. And she continues to plead with them in the following verse. Very persuasive words. What do I have to give you? I've been left with nothing and there's nothing that I can offer you. I have no sons. I have no security. I am destitute as you know all too well. I'm poverty stricken and my prospects back home and your prospects too if you accompany me will not be too good. You are better off remaining here among your people. And the two young widows insist that they would go with their mother-in-law. But whatever logical reasons Naomi advances, the two stay put. Until eventually, for Oprah, a mother-in-law's insistence seems to wear her out. A mother-in-law's insistence seems to weaken her initial resolve. And if finally we, we are told in verse 14, she kissed her mother-in-law, and together they wept. And she said her goodbyes. Opa left the scene and is never mentioned again in the scriptures. And like many of us today, she made a choice, a worldly choice, and she parted with her mother-in-law. Her friend Ruth clung to her mother-in-law, we are told, and in a commitment that has become legendary and memorable and a show of covenant loyalty and love. She declares, Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there, I will be buried. And, and what a contrast between these two young women. What a sharp contrast between the two of them! As a shadow, the shadow of Oprah disappears and fades away into the distant horizon. That's the last we have heard of her, never to be mentioned again in the scriptures. She made a choice, and she left. Well, we ask this question: What what prompted her choice? What made her go back on her resolve earlier on? No, we will go with you. We will return with you to your people. What what has changed? What has made her change her mind?
1: Why has
0: she made this choice? Well, there are a number of reasons that must have prompted her to make this choice. You see, before we condemn her, I I don't think Opa was such a bad person. In fact, the narrator doesn't appear to condemn her action. Neither does a mother-in-law think bad of her. She was a good daughter-in-law who had treated her husband and her mother-in-law very well, very kindly. She was a gracious woman. She she deserved and received Naomi's blessings in verse 8. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. She, she wishes her well. So th- this, is, this is not a bad woman, so to say. She was a good person. But you see, in spiritual terms, to simply be good is not good enough. To simply be a kind person is, is not good enough. Because what God wants from us is our whole, a transformed whole, a new person, a regenerate person that has come under the influence and the power of God's changing grace, the power of God's grace that remodels us and and makes us into a new person, a new individual. It's not just good to be good enough. Let me suggest to you some of the reasons why she had to go back. Firstly, it could be that the loss of her husband had turned her world upside down and the more she reflected and thought about this, the grief of the loss begins to convince her that she's better off in Moab. The death of a spouse brings feelings of loneliness. Feelings of helplessness. Feelings of anxiety. Feelings of alienation. And, and so her mind and her heart are, are numbed by pain as it were. And, and when she, she reasons and thinks about this, everything seems to point to the fact that she, I'm, I'm better off home. I have family here, and I have people that are going to surround me with their love. But secondly, it could be that the death of a husband robbed her of a male protector and provider in in a male-dominated world. And just as a mother-in-law felt vulnerable in an alien country of Moab after losing her husband and her two sons, Opa also fears she might equally be vulnerable in a foreign country of a mother-in-law. And so the prospects looked better at home than far away from home in a strange land. Thirdly, death and childlessness severed her from anything that gave her meaning and value. Like a mother-in-law, her loss completed the collapse of her world. What is it that made her feel valuable? What is it that brought meaning into her life? It, It was a marital status. Even though she had been married for 10 years and she didn't have a child, somehow she felt a sense of security and a sense of completeness. She had bought into... The culture and her view of herself was what her own culture viewed a woman to be. And it's no different from our time today. The world determines our worth. The world is what defines what meaning is. And so she understood our worth and she agreed with the world that our worth is in a marital status. Our worth is in having a child. And in the absence of these two, she was nothing. And what could a nothing and nobody ever achieve in a foreign land? Is this not the reason why my mother-in-law is going back to her own people? You see, in biblical times, it, it didn't matter whether it was in Israel or elsewhere, the foremost vulnerable people in society were the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the alien, the foreigner. Those were the most vulnerable. And there she was. She considered everything and resolved, I'm not going. I'll go back to my people. But fourthly, her natural desire and hope for another resting place in a new husband's house was stronger. And she could not see any hope for that in the foreign land of Israel. The prospects for marriage in Bethlehem would be more than zero for a pagan Gentile woman who had failed to conceive for 10 years. Moab meant home. Moab meant family. Moab meant the possibility of a second marriage among our own people than in a foreign land. And so she chose to remain there. How many single women have estimated their worth only in terms of marriage? How many married women have estimated their worth only in terms of children and the number of children that they have? And so if mar- marriage delays, the temptation that most single women begin to experience, or probably let me not say most, some, Single women begin to experience. The temptation is, I'll step out into the world. It's been 10 years and I've not received any marriage proposal from so many of these godly young men in church. They are of marriageable age and they don't even seem to notice me. So I'll I'll step out into the world and find a husband there because I feel incomplete, I feel I'm not worth living. And so they do that. And such choices always end in disaster. Always end in disaster. Oprah measured her worth according to what the culture around her said. Our our worldview was a view that she allowed to define her, to tell her who she was and what she was worth. Dear friends, it's God who defines our worth. It is God who says who we are and what he perceives us to be. Fifthly, she had, and that is the most important reason why she went back. She had greater faith in the God of Moab than the God of Israel. A devotion to the God of Moab was greater than a devotion to the God of Israel. And so she chose Chemosh, the god of Moab. And she went back. Look at verse 15. Naomi turns to Ruth after Opa had left and says to her, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Not only has she gone back to her people, she has gone back to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Go back to your... Oh, what a poor evangelist Naomi was. I hope none of us are like that. Instead of pointing people to the true God of Israel, Instead of pointing people, sinners to the God who has been so good to us, even in the midst of the frowning providence that we might go through, in the moment of our pain, in the moment of our frustration, in the moment of our disappointment, God does not cease to be God. God does not cease to be appealing. God is not to be hidden away from those who need Him. Naomi ought to have grieved her daughter-in-law's departure. But well, she has made a choice, and so she goes back. Back to where? Back to our idols. Back to our gods. Back to idolatry. Back to hopelessness. Back to Darkness. And lostness. Her choice was not only practical, her choice was theological. Her choice is what mattered the most at the end of the day to her. And our desires and our concerns were merely earthly and not spiritual and not heavenly. She judged everything based on the reality and the circumstances around her and that's where most people go wrong. They look at the immediate circumstances around them. They look at the immediate benefits around them. They do not consider eternity. They do not consider the future. They walk by sight. And therefore make decisions by sight. And not by faith. If those are the five things that prompted our choice... Then we ask the second question, what did she lose? What did she forfeit by making that choice? Well, two very important things that she lost. Firstly, she lost the privilege of being numbered among God's covenantal people. She went back to her people. She went back to her idols. She went back to the godless culture that she was all too familiar with. She preferred her pagan connections to the privileges of the house of Israel. She puts her country, she puts her kindred, she puts her God before everything else. And so she loses the privilege of being numbered among God's covenantal people. But secondly, she lost the blessings of fellowship with God. The blessings of fellowship with the God of Israel. That's what she's losing. And Ruth, I mean, Naomi puts it very clearly. She has gone back to our God's. Naomi knew what was in Opa's heart. She has gone back to idols and she loses the privilege and the opportunity of fellowship with God. Adam and Eve lost paradise for an apple, for the fruit. From the tree that God had said to them, You must not eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. And they lost paradise. In Mark chapter 5, we have that sad story of the Gadarin demoniac the man who was possessed by a legion of demons and comes face to face with the Son of God and those demons are cast out and and they go and enter into the pigs and the pigs run and drown into the sea. And the people of the Decapolis, when they come and they find this man in his right frame of mind, clean and well-dressed, that they, they can't remember when they last saw him like that. What choice did they make? They pleaded with Jesus to leave their territory. Go away! We do not want to suffer any more losses. Our pigs are not safe with you around here. We don't care about this man and what you have done for him. We worry about our business. So they forfeited the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. They forfeited the message of the gospel. They forfeited the blessedness that comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. For Opa and Ruth, going with Naomi would be choosing the road to nowhere, so she thought. Embracing the path that led to emptiness, so she thought. And so it seemed that Opa made the sensible choice and she went back home. She doesn't seem to see what Ruth saw by faith. She doesn't raise her eyes anywhere far above her circumstances. She only walked by sight and she could only see what was visible. And all the special blessings that Ruth is committing herself to and she sees by faith that are found in the land of promise, that are found back in Judah, the best prospects as far as faith is concerned, she doesn't see all that. And so she remains with her own people in the fields of Moab. Ian Dagwid, in his commentary on the book of Ruth, says this. Who now remembers Oprah? She rejected the road to emptiness, but at the same time unknowingly turned aside from the one road that could have led her to a life of lasting significance and meaning. The world's wise choice to avoid emptiness leads in the end to a different kind of oblivion. End of quote. Well then, how does this apply to you and me? What do we take away from this dangerous worldly choice that Opa made? Very quickly, four things that I would like to highlight as lessons for us. Firstly, all of us, each one of us, are faced with a crucial choice at some point in our lives. Either we are to continue to seek our security, we are to continue to seek our significance in the way of the world as Opa did, or we are to continue to seek meaning in God and in God alone. That's the choice that confronts each one of us. We can say to ourselves, I will continue to seek meaning and value in my career. I will continue to seek meaning and value in my family, in my health, in my wealth, in my job, in my investments. And such a choice always leads to disaster because the world will have you in its firm grip and it becomes so hard for you to let go of the world for the sake of the kingdom of God or are we going to make our choice the way that Ruth made that choice even what seemed As lacking in any promise and prospect. But by faith she went. And we know the the rest of the story. The blessings that she came to enjoy. A gentle woman. Bears a son. Who becomes the grandfather of the great King David. And her name is entrenched in redemptive history because the line of the Messiah is traced through her because she had faith. Well, Opa went back and the narrator is not interested in telling us what kind of life she went back to Perhaps she must have met Mr. Wright and eventually had a quiver full of children and lived happily ever after in Moab. Perhaps, but we don't know. But one thing that we know is that she forfeited the blessings of God. She chose with her eyes And the saddest part of Oprah's story that she probably never even knew what she was missing by turning her back on God. What about you? What choice are you going to make today? How are you going to make that choice? What is it that is far more important to you now and for eternity? The second lesson is that we come to the Lord Jesus Christ individually and we will also be accountable to him personally. Have you noticed the absence of any recorded words or any other individual from any of the Moabites apart from these two women? no one's words in moab is recorded no moabite word is recorded apart from the words of these two women and so opa and ruth acted on their own freely intentionally based on the same revelation they had received from their mother-in-law based on the same opportunities that they had based on the same privileges to which they had been exposed based on the same influences from their mother-in-law. One responds in faith and the other responds in unbelief, And when they will stand before the judgment seat of God. They will both answer for themselves individually, just as you and I will answer for ourselves individually. Because we come to Christ individually. Thirdly, our resolve to follow the Lord Jesus Christ may look no different from everyone else's, until it is put to the test. That's what it means. Opa and Ruth walked the same path, expressed the same devotion and love for their mother-in-law, expressed the same desire to go back to Judah. They wept the same tears. But when Opa resolved, opa's resolve and desire to go back was threatened by the comforts of the world upon which her heart was set she backed off and she couldn't go no further the love for the world keeps us from the lord jesus christ even where everyone else is happy and applauds us that we have begun well But the day will come when we will be exposed for who we truly are. The parable of the sower is a perfect illustration of that. And so that is what we see with Opa. At first, all was well. At first, her devotion was impeccable, faultless. But as she reasoned and as she reflected further and further as the prospects of living in Israel were becoming gloomier and gloomier, she made a choice, she made a decision, and she says, I'm back. And so, maybe some of us, who made give make even a public profession of faith. And then as the tests come and as the trials of life come, our mind is convinced this is not for me. This is not for me. And we abandon the faith that we once professed and go back into the world. Because our comforts cannot be satisfied by our identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a miserable choice. But fourthly and finally, to experience the true blessings of God in salvation, we have to leave, so to say, Moab. We have to leave the world. We cannot be saved while we are holding on to our past, while we are loving and cherishing our past, while we are still in love with the world. We are not saved in order to keep loving the world. We are saved to abandon the world, to forsake the world, to leave the world and all its advantages and all its promises. We are saved to turn our backs on the world. That's who we are as Christians. And that is what the grace of God must do in our lives. We are not saved to remain friends with the world. And if you profess to be a child of God, and you are still holding on to your past, you are still clinging on to the world, you still have the mindset of the worldling. It is to be feared whether that profession is truly genuine and biblical and whether the grace of God has reached down to the very depth of your heart. Where do you stand? Who are you today in the eyes of God? May the Lord speak to you. May the Lord speak to you this morning. May he remind you that to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ is not to continue to live for this world and to love this world but to forsake everything to say no to this world and to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive him as your Lord and as your saviour totally surrendered to him. May that be someone's choice today. And never to suffer the tragic losses that Opa suffered. Amen. Let us pray. Father, there could be someone here this morning, someone This afternoon who is on the crossroads. Someone who is in love with the world. And they are still wondering whether it is worth it to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to such a one. Speak to all of us, O Lord. and Make our eyes realize what is greater by far. What blessedness there is in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that this work of your grace may be effected in someone's heart today. In the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord's name be praised.